What's that running those guys out there? Uh, about a hundred grand. Is it really hundred grand? Yeah. Sorry, I jumped in late. A hundred grand for what? A field? A lease? A no, lease for a, membership for for the for the uh, lease for the club. Yeah. How many to be a member of the club. Oh my! What's your guys' is your guys' season isn't a hundred days though, is it? No, it's sixty. Oh. <laughs> How many gator tags is that? <laughs> no, that's just for duck hunting and goose hunting. But that's the least twenty-one thousand acres too. Oh wow! How many people are on that twenty-one thousand acres? Uh, there's I think there's ten members. Oh, okay. Wow, that's a lot of ground per person. <laughs> can I borrow? Well, can I borrow hundred grand? Every day we hunt. We hunt a maximum of eight eight blinds a day. Three people per blind. So twenty four people a day is what we hunt. Gotcha. So are you are you leasing that place to guide out of, or is it a, a personal lease? No, it's a it's a it's a big farm that leases it all out to one group of guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he guides and, the and, members and, I, yeah. and our guy there. Bit, oh, wow. A little bit different. But that's some <laughs> that's some land, man. I yeah, twenty one thousand yeah. acres. Is it just all rice, or do you have any natural? Uh. It's it's mostly rice, but there's some uh, there's a couple of marshes on it also. That is impressive to say the least. I mean, you know, our chunks when we're talking about big chunks of marsh, we're getting three hundred <laughs> acres. It's like that's a good chunk of ground. Yeah. Got a thousand acres line up. Yeah. Yeah. No, we we we're blessed to be able to. I'm blessed to be able to hunt and guide at that place because uh, there's there's only a couple of places like it in the whole state. Wow. How long have you been out there doing that? Uh, this is my 11th year out there. Okay, so so it's it's been a little bit. Yes, sir. Yeah. Bill, you got any plans coming back out here anytime soon? Well, I was I was going to come back, back out at the end of the end of our season, but um, my buddy Alex that I hunt with, he said he's got to start crabbing then, so I don't know if I'm going to make it back there or not this year. Oh, bummer, man. Yeah. So for everybody listening, we have Bill Daniels uh, on the line. He is the owner of Riceland Calls out in Louisiana. So if you're listening, that's who you're listening to. And if you're watching on YouTube, that's who you see on the screen right now. Um, Bill, we're happy to have you and happy to talk to you about, you know, exactly what we're doing right now, the differences in in states, your your call business. I, I mean, the 21,000 acres thing just kind of got me baffled right away, but that's that must be pretty nice to have that much ground at your your uh, disposal. Yeah, it, it's a it's a special place to be able to hunt. Uh, like I said, there's not many like it in the state. Do you normally come out to California every year? I I came out there quite a few years in a row. I I haven't been back since COVID hit. Uh, but before that, I was going every year for about five or six years. I guess. Where were you hunting in California? Uh. From Sacramento on north. Okay. Very nice. All the way up all the way up to Oregon. <laughs> None of your business. Yeah. Did did you get the Jeff Smith treatment? Did you take it all of his secret spots? I did. We hunted we hunted together. I actually killed my first big Canada goose sitting next to Jeff. Yeah. Well, well it was crazy. He, he, pro- he probably stole the band off is of what happened when he gave you a goose. No, I did steal the first one though, because no one <laughs> No one told me he never shot a Canada goose before, and we're. Was, I remember you got you, you got greedy. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was on the end, and like this pair came in, and I was sitting next to Colin. It was like me, Colin, and then Bill, and no one told me. And and two were in Colin's like, "You want to shoot these?" Like, 
yeah, all right, tatouche. And Bill's like, and it's like, yeah, did you shoot one? He's like, no, they, they shot him. And I was like, you never shot a goose before? He's like, no, I felt like a total tool bag. <laughs> and then, uh, then a big group came in, and we actually had a, a really good hunt. We were up in uh, Lower Klamath, out in oh, the grain fields. Right. And then yeah. uh, went out in the wetlands the day after that and, and shot some ducks. So, yeah, that was a good time, man. Yeah, that's favorite favorite picture I got is me holding those mallards we killed with uh, Mount Shasta in the background. Yeah, isn't that a cool picture, man? Yeah, we totally yeah. – uh, it was a crazy year. It was like when Lower Klamath was kind of open. Um, it was before the closure, but they didn't have full water kind of thing. Yeah, we all got drawn for Tule Lake, and it was so bad. We found a field at uh, LK, and there were some other folks that we knew that were up there. We all geared up and did a big spread in the field. And um, there was actually a huge group. I don't even remember this. Huge group of juvie snows. I mean, they were like five yards off the blind, but you couldn't shoot them because they were closed early uh, in the yeah, season. Yeah. And it was just like the coolest thing. They came in like right over the layout blinds and kind of just went and did their thing. And then, huh. yeah, we shot you know, some Canada's and Specs and all that good stuff, man. That's, that was a while ago. It's, I haven't been up to Klamath. I don't think – gosh, I don't think it's been since that hunt we went on, to be honest, because we've had all the droughts and Do all that. Do you guys that. remember what year that was? Gosh darn. Oh. Had to be – 17, 16, 17? 17, yeah. Yeah, I'd say 17 because I think in, in 18, 19, we went up to Modoc. Um, and yeah, I haven't been back to Klamath since, which is extremely sad, but I need to get back up there. So how did how did you two get aligned, Bill and Jeff? I mean, I don't know your guys' story of how you two came to know each other. Um, mutual friends. Um, you were friends with a friend of mine, Alex Wall or Anthony Wallace, and um, just kind of in the calling industry. You came out here to judge a few contests, um, so met you that way. Just judging. I was more on the the duck side, but I would judge on some of the spec stuff when they needed somebody. So, I think originally you had a calling contest, and then you were coming out here to hunt with a bunch of guys, and uh, yeah, yep. just kind of linked up. So, but. So kind of tell us how, how the whole calling business started. I mean, I know, you know, it's basically Riceland calls out here or Redbone if you're blowing a spec call. And I would say most everyone is is on that, you know, Riceland side of things. So you got a huge following over here in, you know, the Pacific Flyway. And spec hunting for us here in California has just exploded in the last, I would say, 10 years in terms of like guys getting into it, big spreads, learning actually how to blow a spec call correctly. You know, it's not like 15 years ago where if you sounded anything remotely like a spec, the thing was coming in, uh, the game's changed, but kind of talk to us about, you know, how you got started and, and where you guys are at. I mean, your company has won a ton of championships. You're a championship caller as well. So kind of tell us down kind of where it started. Well, it, it all stemmed from contest calling. Uh, I met my, uh, my, my past business partner, <clears throat> James Myers, uh, through calling contests. And um, he and I worked together building calls when he had his company, James Myers Custom Calls. He, he kind of taught me how to make spec calls. And he and I became partners in Riceland. And since then, we, we parted ways in about, I think it was 2018, he and I split up. 
the business and he went back to doing his James Myers custom calls. And then ultimately he passed away. Uh, I think it's almost two years now. Um, but that's how I got started was through contest calling and, and getting hooked up with James. And uh, it's just, it was just a, an idea that we had to, to make a little bit of money to be able to go on a hunt somewhere out of town or out of state and make a little extra money. And it's, blossomed into a full-time full-time business now yeah i know i know you guys are pretty big just from me personally hunting and the guys i hunt with having having ricelands what's just out of curiosity how many calls are you shipping out you know making let's say in in a month or a week what's what's your normal uh depends on what time of year it is right now i'm i'm really busy i sent out Oh, from over the weekend, 30 some odd calls yesterday, and I sent out about 20 today. So wow. it's, uh, it's rolling pretty good. Plus, now I have a good, good bit of stores that I send to, and, uh, I'm pretty much busy all year round. Is that your full time job right now? Just Riceland? Yep. Yep. That's, uh, it's been my full time job since 2013. Wow. And Bill, when you yeah. guys first started, were you guys, you know, on the lathe turning every single call, or did you guys kind of find a demo that you liked and then kind of started mass producing those on CNC we machines? Were, uh, we were mostly doing hand turn calls. We did a little bit of acrylic calls, okay. And then since then, we blossomed out to poly calls, and uh, most of my stuff is now acrylic calls and, and Delrin calls. I don't have a whole lot of time to turn hand turn stuff for the most part. And when I do have time, sometimes I don't feel like can't turn in any calls anymore, but, um, it, it's gotten to be a, a full-time deal. It's just me and my wife that work in here. Oh. And, uh, I got a couple of guys that come help me when I get really far behind, they come help me and get me out of a bind. But for the most part, it's just my wife and I that take care of all of this. So you guys started on, you know, primarily the, the goose calls, but was it, uh, Last year or two years ago, you guys, your guys' call won the the Duck Worlds. Is that correct? Yeah, well, it it was three three years ago now. Okay. Uh, yeah, Hayden Hayden Richard won the World Duck, and then last year he also placed second. That's phenomenal. And this year we just had it. I don't know what they were looking for over there. This year. <laughs> <laughs> kind, of a, kind of a strange deal this year, but uh, Hayden came out tenth, I think, this year. Gotcha. Is there more people but, starting to run a Riceland in the the Main Street calling? And well, that's kind of a, I don't know. That's kind of a specialized deal. We we had five guys that that qualified and blew at Worlds uh, this past weekend, um, which is pretty good. Uh, yeah. Some of the other main main names like Echo and RNT didn't have a whole lot more than that. Wow. And uh, yeah, I mean it. It's nothing that uh that I'm going to get rich doing main street calls. But I, I mean, I, I, we do it because Hayden, Hayden enjoys it. And he takes one of my duck calls that I made and he modifies them to make them main street calls. So he does them all by hand. So okay. It's not something that we're going to sell a, a thousand of them, but we do. Okay. And we got a, we got a little bit of a following that, that use them. What, what's the difference in a main street call versus a call that you would sell to the average Joe? Um, not a whole lot of not a whole lot of difference. Uh, Hayden just tunes them to get that extra little oomph that the contest callers need. It's it's really uh, the call is made off of my mid range duck call that I sell o o over the counter, 
um, with just a, a few modifications to it to make it um, more like a race car than a, than a duck call. <laughs> yeah, and I think there, you know, there's always a, from a duck hunter standpoint, you get a lot of people like, you know, that doesn't sound like a duck or that might not sound like a, a speck when someone's doing a, a main street routine or, you know, doing any type of contest calling. But kind of my thing is I've always told people like, well, if you could do that, you could do the simple things to call a duck correctly. I mean, as a judge, you've judged a ton of these contests. What are you looking for in terms of the sound and what the caller can do with a call to like put them over the top and, you know, to win a contest? Well, I, I look for, uh, the, the flow of their routine, whether it makes sense to me, you know, like, if everything fits together and, and, and sound, sounds good and flows together, something, a note or a sequence of notes are not out of place. Um, I listen for the tone of the call, the speed and cadence that they do. And if they're following the routine that that's set for the contest that I'm judging, uh, you know, main street's got a specific routine that they're supposed to follow and a, a specific flow to that contest. The world spec now has a similar style routine. It's more main street spec calling than it is actually spec calling anymore. So that routine has got a, a specific cadence and flow that it's supposed to follow. When you get into the meat duck and the live duck, not so much a strict routine, but that's the world spec and the world duck are really specific on what everybody's listening. The judges are listening for trying to, pick out the best one. Did you the guys are so good. It, it's sometimes in, in the spec, especially it's hard to find the winner because there, there's a handful of guys that are really, really good at it. Yeah. I found that too on the spec call and it's really hard to kind of narrow it down where in my opinion on, on the duck calling, you could have a guy that really misses a, a note or a sour note right off the bat, you know, and you're like, boom, you're out. But, um, yeah, the spec yeah. calling stuff's pretty tough to judge. Yep. Did, did you get into contest calling first and then started making your calls or was contest calling yeah. one of those? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I did. I started um, calling in contests in 1999, I think. How and have you seen it expand years. in since 1999 to what it is now? Um, as far as spec wise, uh, back in 1999, the, the spec contests were basically the only one they had that I knew I was over there in California. I think they had it then, but the one here, the ones here in Louisiana was in, in Gaydon, Louisiana. And it, it used to have 35 people call in it, Yeah, but it was more, it was more hunters, guides, you know, it wasn't a real structured deal. It was the old hunting club managers from Gaydon would judge it. Uh, all the guides would call in it. It was more of a, I don't know more to see who's the best caller in our area. But now it's progressed to where it's a very uh, set routine that they're looking for. And um, it just got a whole lot more like, a, like I said earlier, like a Main Street spec call versus a hunting style calling. Do you want to kind of explain, because um, I know a lot of people listening might not know the difference between like a Main Street versus, you know, an actual hunting situation. If you want to, Jeff, explain yeah, what so, the difference is. Yeah. So basically, like when people talk about a, a Main Street, it's duck calling, for example. It's going to be your your high balls dee, 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 coming down, going right back up. 
Um, so you got those really, really loud hail calls that, you know, don't necessarily sound like a duck. And you're just taking that call to its absolute limit as a, a duck caller. And then, you know, they do your comeback calls and your feed calls and it's kind of a routine and then you're, you're done and you have 90 seconds to complete that routine. If you go over that 90 seconds, you're, you're boom, you're, you're bumped out where when people call a, a live duck, you know, you're trying to sound like the bird, let's say. And then in a, what people call a meat calling contest, it's you're in the blind, you're calling at those ducks. So a little bit different, right? You're more of a calling scenario, but you're like going back to the live duck. You're just trying to sound like some live ducks, like you know, on the water, essentially. Okay. Um, and there's little routines there, you know, because as a caller, there's only certain times during your routine. I mean, you got to sip for air, you know, because you if you don't do it at the right time, you're going to stall and it just doesn't flow real well. And as a judge, you're kind of looking for those things too, like – way too long taking a breath here or you know whatnot so it's uh that's kind of it in a a calling world but in my opinion like if you like to duck call it's a great way to meet other people who like to duck call and and don't think of it as the best duck hunter is the best duck caller because i've hunted with some people they they could run a call but they're not I mean, I've miss. hunted with you. You're pretty bad. You're a great caller. <laughs> they don't they don't know how to read birds. But I think what was interesting with hunting with you, Bill, the couple of times that we did was you're an extremely accomplished caller, you're the best one out of everyone probably in the field. But in the field itself, you don't you don't call a whole lot in terms of what I would call you know probably because there's other people there. But what's your opinion on you know calling in the field, calling too much, you know, not calling enough? I call I call as little as possible to get ducks or geese to react. Yeah. I don't I don't do any hardly any of that contest stuff that they do in a spec contest. I don't do any of that. Yeah. I do basic basic stuff and try to get a reaction out of a goose. And once I get that reaction I do the very minimum I need to do to get him to come close enough to shoot. Yeah, and that if you if, if you hunt with me, I'm, you're not going to hear any fancy nothing because I, I don't do it on a duck call. Uh, very short cadences and very little feed, and I just I'm just very basic when I call when I'm hunting. Yeah, but even even though you can make, or does the sound come on? Anyway. Even though you can make all the sounds, you you don't do it in a hunting scenario where I would say a lot of people that know how to make all those sounds they see a goose and they're throwing their contest routine in there. And you're like, <laughs> dude, that's just not working, you know? And that, that's a, one of the reasons why when you call it a goose, now it goes the other direction when you make the first note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, as a, as a guide and a hunter, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, a newer spec hunter or caller either master or keep in mind when they're out in the field to make them a better hunter that kind of wise cover is the main thing you got to make sure that you're hidden really well where those geese can't figure out where you're at and once again my my style is to do whatever whatever minimally you can get away with to make the geese react if if that's a two note or a three note and that's what they react to. Keep doing the same. Keep doing it till they don't. Till you got to change up to do something different. Um, I do a, a 
sometimes when there's a, a decent sized group of geese, I'll do a lot of clucking and try to get them excited and come in. But for the most part, I just, I really do the mimic the goose. Stuff. I don't do all that other stuff. I kind of mimic what they're doing and throw a few notes in there here and there, but uh, I don't do a lot of calling. Do you see differences in how folks hunt, say in California versus Louisiana or other states where you've spec hunted um, decoy spread wise, calling wise, you know, number of hunters. I know what's your guys's, what's your guys's limit out there on specs? Three. Three. So we're at, so we're at 10. So obviously there's gotta be some differences that you've seen in your travels. Um, What are some of those? Well, my travels in California, the, the amount of geese that you see in a day uh, is, 10 times, 100 times more than what you'll see in a day in, in Louisiana. And same thing in Arkansas. There's just a tremendous amount of birds. So if you, you call it a, a group, you don't get that group to come in. You, you just wait a few minutes and there'll be another one coming by. <laughs> Whereas in Louisiana, uh, for the most part, if, if you get three or four, you know, chances in a morning, that's probably that's a pretty good morning. Whereas in California, in Arkansas, you might get 10, 15, 20 chances in a morning. You know, there, it seems like there's way, well, I know there is, there's way more birds in both places. Uh, Arkansas, like from Arkansas to here, it's like the bird changes its, its DNA. Yeah. It, it, up there, they fly in big, giant, big, giant groups, and uh, they're yeah. fairly, for the most part, they're workable. When they get down here, some days they're they're just impossible to even get them to break a wing beat. I mean, they just ignore everything you throw at them, and and it's very very difficult. Louisiana specs has become what I as far as places I've hunted are the most difficult specs to kill anywhere I've ever been. Wow. Do you see differences in decoy spreads from state to state? Like, are you guys running big spreads out in Louisiana, or is it smaller, realistic? What what do you guys do out there versus what you've seen out out in the other states? Uh, most most people tend to run smaller, uh, three dozen or less spreads. A lot. Some of the guys now are, are putting bigger spreads out. What do you uh, what do you consider I, bigger? Uh, 10, 15 dozen, twenty dozen. <laughs> that's that's a mini you California know? spread. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I, I was going to say when I go out there to California, sometimes we put out everything everything but the kitchen sink. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing in Arkansas. They use big full body spreads, or they use a lot of silhouettes and 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 rags and such out there. Um, but yeah, it's it's different. And most people in Louisiana hunting pit blind, whereas the other places now they're in and it used to be layouts. Now it's panel blinds. Everybody's yeah, panel blinds is the world's greatest thing. Yeah, the big group hunt, right. Do you, do you think too, uh, like Louisiana was always kind of the, the spec place, right? So, I mean, all the calls that I would say, what was it? The Tryon, how do you pronounce it? The Tryon Kelly? Ken Kai. Yeah. So that was in like the Cabela's magazine when I was a little kid, but that was like the only spec call. And there was an, yeah. in our, when I grew up, like there was a short window where you could shoot like one spec and now you could shoot 10. Do you think it's because yep. you guys have hunted them a lot longer than some of the other states in terms of like population size? Is that 
another reason why it might be harder down yeah. there or is it just because you're ending the flyway they're there you know the, the flyway has changed the the migration has changed and the amount of specs that come down here is not what it used to be okay they're, short stopping uh, they're all stopping in arkansas gotcha makes sense and then and then then the the habitat the habitat down here has been shrunk to such a small area and the, the amount of geese is less and the amount of people hunting in that small area is more so there's a tremendous amount of pressure along where I, where I live southwest louisiana along the i10 corridor and south there's just a tremendous amount of pressure on the birds and it like i said there's fewer birds more pressure better callers better decoys it just yeah it's just a, a whole combination of things what happened to a lot of that habitat oh uh, crawfish sugarcane farmers going under not planting the rice acres that they used to plant in years past so what, like crawfish farms? Yep. Yep. And crawfish is done during the wintertime. So there's crawfish boats and crawfish farmers running the geese out of the fields and oh, okay. they flood the water deep where, where birds don't like it. And it just, uh, just a, a bunch of different things. Yeah. Are you guys seeing more snow geese in your area, uh, recently? Uh, not more. No. Uh, we, we actually get less of them also. Really? Yeah. We're seeing, yeah. it seems like every year more and more snow geese and we still see plenty of specs, but it's just like a lot of, a lot of people are transitioning out here from their field hunting from, you know, specs to big snow goose spreads now. And it's, it's becoming yeah, a yeah. little more well known now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll shoot the specs in the big snow spreads, especially like the larger full body spreads. But I'd say, you know, people are targeting those snows almost more than they're targeting specs nowadays in the Sacramento Valley. Yeah, I mean the spec in my opinion, it it's been they're not the same bird that we were hunting, you know, 10 years ago. They're they're a lot harder to consistently decoy, you know, cuz every single person has um a spec call and a lot of them are a lot better callers than they used to be and you can shoot 10 of them. So the pressure is the just, incentives there to learn how to hunt well. Uh, the, the pressure has gone up, yeah. you know. Did you go out and hunt anytime this week by chance? Or what's your season? Are you guys started or ended? It's hunting or, every day. No, we I hunt every day. We got well, our season uh goes into the split on Sunday. Oh, so you guys oh. have a split for how long? How long we is the split? Two, two splits. <laughs> this one's uh nine days, I think. Okay. It opens again. It closes Sunday, and it opens again on the following Monday. So I've never hunted a split. Do you think that nine days actually makes a difference in the birds and their wariness, or what's nothing? <laughs> so, no. so, 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 in your opinion, what's what's the goal of a split? Just to let people hunt later? I mean, well, we used to have we used to have a two week split, and we only had one throughout the season. Now we have two, and they and this year for some reason it's only. A week and then a week later on so i i don't really know what what good it's going to do so you personally uh, but, would rather have just one two-week split in the middle yeah huh. that's how it that's how it's always been but the powers that be around here like to change the season <laughs> every year for some reason and i i don't understand it i just hunt when they tell me i can hunt <laughs> yeah me too so bill tell us some stories i know you went over to our russia and shot some birds over there tell us about that excursion oh uh, 
that was a uh, that was different. <laughs> we, I took uh, my ex business partner James Myers and a couple of other buddies of mine. We uh we got on a plane and uh, flew to Moscow, Russia, and uh, the only thing I knew about going there was what I talked to my dealer that I have in Russia on Facebook. I've never met him in person or nothing, just <laughs> through Facebook. And we flew over there to meet him without knowing where we were going and what we were doing. No and, way. Uh, we got to the Moscow airport and there was nobody there to pick us up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Just so, bamboozled. So uh, all my buddies are looking at me like, what the hell are we doing over here? Who, who's coming to get us? What's going on? I said, man, I don't have any idea. Let me try and find out. So my my guy uh, Igor, he uh, he went to the wrong airport. Oh my god! <laughs> and going going to the wrong airport in Russia is about a two hour trip, evidently, because he didn't get there till two hours after he was supposed to get there. Oh my god! And we're all sitting on the floor in the Russian air Russian airport, wondering what what's going on. How are we gonna get out of here? <laughs> what year was this? Uh, 2011. Wow. So, so once he came and got you, what was the experience like? Well, we loaded, we loaded everything up into a van and, uh, stuffed all our gear in a van and we took off down the road and, uh, I rode with him in a car in front of the van. And for some reason we got farther ahead than the van that was following <laughs> us. And they ended up having a flat. <laughs> we, had, we had to turn around in a uh, pea soup fog and try to find that van on the side of the road to help get them with a tire Well, the, the rental van guy didn't have a spare tire. So we had to unload all that stuff and cram it into two other, ve- <laughs> two other vehicles to get to where we were supposed to go hunting that night. And we got there about, I don't know, must've been one, one o'clock in the morning. They had a full, dinner waiting for us we were supposed to be there hours before they had a full dinner waiting for us we we had to we had to eat dinner we ate dinner and drank vodka till i don't know what time in the morning and then got up to go that's wild what kind of birds were you shooting over there (laughs) uh we we went to go shoot specs and uh and we we tried to do a duck hunt we actually did a duck hunt with live ducks for decoys no way Uh, nice yeah the uh, the guys that have those live ducks, they uh they're very uh very serious about it and they love their ducks like pets. Uh, the guy had the ducks in little wooden boxes and had their names engraved on the boxes and had each duck had their own box. Are the boxes floating like away from the blind and then they get up on the box or how does that whole no, thing they, work? They they have a piece of star a round piece of styrofoam with a stick sticking in it. Okay. And on the duck's leg, he's got a, a, a band a band on his leg with a cord. And they stick that that stick on that styrofoam deal through the cord, and they tie the duck to that thing, to that stand. Okay. And they push it flush with the water, and the duck jumps up on there and goes to quacking. And did it work? Uh, no, because there was no duck. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they still didn't come in. The, the, the thing about – thing about uh, Russian hunting in Russia, they, they have a spring season and it, it starts. Um, I think it starts in March, March or April. And like every 10 days, it moves up further North in Russia, the seasons. Okay. So if you don't hit the, hit the migration at the right 
time in the right place, you might not see it. You might not get anything. Gotcha. And we just we just didn't hit it to the right place. Did you get the specs though, or not? At, not no, those either. We, no. Killed, we only killed a handful of specs while we were there. Hmm. But we we would we would call them at the camp. We'd call them when they'd come over to the camp and get them to circle around the camp. And, and every time we do that, the Russians would come running out of the camp with the guns like this. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys just missed the migration totally, or just you know. It's hunting yeah, and we we there. missed we missed it. We didn't have we didn't have much of a a, a hunt as far as specs and uh, and ducks were concerned. I think we ended up killing maybe five specs and a duck, one duck. What was, um, what was the bird that you shot in the tree? That's called a capricali. Yeah. It's a a wood grouse. It's a, I think it's the world's biggest grouse. Did you have to like and, sleep uh, there overnight or something sister. like that? Yeah. That's my favorite, still to this day, my favorite hunt I've ever been on. So, so go they go into the me, details of that one. Well, they woke me up at like <laughs> midnight. My my buddy, the one of the Russians that run the hunting camp, he comes knocks on the door and he says, "Bill, let's go," and he takes me out, puts me in a car with his driver. Gotta go meet Vladimir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I went there. <laughs> And he takes me on in his car driving who knows where in Russia at midnight. Oh, so all my other buddies are sleeping, so they have no idea where I'm at. They only took you? <laughs> they're they're in bed. Oh so, my goodness. So I'm Where's Bell? Russia. Yeah. They they could have easily got me and I was, nobody would ever know where I where I ended up. <laughs> but anyway, we drive for like an hour and a half away from camp pull off the side of the road and this van like a Volkswagen bus looking van, but it's a, a like an old army vehicle, four wheel drive looking van pulls up behind us and three Russians get out of the van. I'm thinking, what, what's going to happen here? <laughs> Are you Bill Daniels well, from Louisiana? <laughs> none, of, none of them speak English and I sure don't speak Russian. So they're talking out of that out today point for me to get in the get in the van so i get in the van and we drive some more and go to this great big giant woods and we take off walking and we must have walked i don't know three miles we walked for probably over an hour hour and a half maybe two i don't know we walked forever it seemed like in the middle of the walk i had to tell that that old guy and i said hey Take a time out, smoke or something. I need a break. <laughs> they were walking me to death. I'm not in the greatest shape in the world. So they were walking me all over. So we ended up going in this in this big woods. And the one guy tells, tells me that I'm going to go with the other guy. But we start walking in the woods. It's pitch black dark. It's not even near daylight yet. We're walking in, in these big woods. And about every 100 yards, that guy stops. And... He just looking around and listening, and he hears something and he points. I'm like, I don't know what he's listening. I don't know what he's hearing. And we walk a little bit further, and he points again. And this time, I can hear that bird. It it makes the craziest sound. It it it, it like clicks. It goes click, 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 chicka 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 chicka. And when it when it's doing that click click click, you gotta time it just right. Whenever he gets to the the three clicks out, you can take a couple of steps. That bird can't hear and he, huh. and can't see when he's making that other part of his of his song. 
but you sneak up in the wood till you get close enough to that bird in the tree and you wait for daylight to come and you you get them shoot them out of the tree oh my god and how big is this bird like a hen turkey wow <laughs> yeah yeah like a hen turkey but the the first one we snuck up on either me or the guy had stepped on a stick and cracked the stick and it it, we busted it out of the tree and we had to go look for another one. When he finally got me up up on one, he, he tells me to shoot. Well, I don't know what kind of gun I got. I don't know what I can't, I don't know what size shell I got. I don't know nothing. He's just telling me to shoot. So I shot at it. And I, I thought it was kind of far and I missed. I either missed because I missed or I missed because it was too far. I, I don't know. But anyway, I, I walked all that way and I missed the bird I was going, that I went all the way to Russia to shoot. And uh, that was supposed to be the only day that I was going to be able to hunt that bird. So I was, I mean, I was mad that I missed. And uh, we're walking back to the truck and my other buddy Igor calls me and asks me if I want to hunt them birds again the next day. And I said, heck yeah, I want to go again. <laughs> so the next day we did the same deal. And uh, this time they, the, the guy got me within a hundred yards and he, he, he points to me for me to go. So I, I got to sneak up as close as I wanted to, to, to shoot it. So I snuck up on that one that morning to within about 25 yards or 30 yards. And he was up in the top of the tree and it was so dark when I'd aim at him, I couldn't see the end of the gun <laughs> so I had to sit there and listen to him do that song for I don't know, 15, 20 minutes before I could actually see to shoot him. And when I did shoot him, he got stuck in the dang tree oh at the top. God. And uh, I'm looking at him like, oh, crap, I, I'm going to get that thing out of there. And he, he flopped and he fell to the ground. And uh, when I brought him back to my buddy, they were so excited. They thought that was the greatest thing ever that I killed that bird. They were more excited than I was. And, and I was pretty excited. Yeah. They, uh, they brought me back to camp. We we drank vodka. They they said it's a tradition to drink vodka in a big water glass. <laughs> All the way to of the course. top. I said, y'all messing with me. Y'all just want to see me get drunk. I said, no, Bill. Russian tradition. You must drink after you kill Big Bird. I said, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going <laughs> to drink that. I'm going to bed. <laughs> so I drank the vodka and I took off and went to bed. But it's still, that's, that was the fun, one of the funnest hunts I ever went on. That is wild. Isn't that crazy? Did you didn't yeah. you didn't bring your gun with you, right? You just went over there and borrowed stuff? No, we we didn't bring we didn't bring anything but our bags and our clothes. What was the process of getting in? Like hunting license? Did you guys have to go through a process to get there or was it just yeah, plain, to go, plain and go? go to Russia, you gotta get a visa. Okay. And that's quite a quite a deal. You had to get a company to get the visa for you and when you get, even when you go to a hotel over there, you got to show them your visa, your passport, and they make you they fill out paperwork, and you got to keep all that with you while you're there, and you got to have all that when you leave. And if you don't have it all in order, I don't think they let you let you leave. <laughs> um, but it, it was it was interesting. There, everything's pretty regimented over there as far as paperwork. Wow, that's wild. But the people over there, you know, everybody rush don't like rushing, but the people over there were some of the finest people I've ever met. They just like us. They like to hunt, fish, yeah. drink, 
barbecue, all that same stuff that we do down here in Louisiana. Um, four of them actually came here the following year and, and hunted with us here in Louisiana. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. They had, they had a great time while they were here too. That's awesome. We still haven't came down to shoot an alligator with you guys. We'll need to put that one on the, on the books. I told you all to come. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've been to them to come hunt teal too for teal season and they don't ever come in. I know. We'll need to get the group together. Get, get down there. Yeah. Um, Bill, I mean, what, what's your thought? You've hunted all over the place. I've hunted specs for a long time. You know, what do you think the, the biggest difference is, you know, hunting a, a spec in California versus, you know, hunting a spec in, in Louisiana and, and the biggest difference of like what hunters do differently. I mean, what, what's your opinion on that? Well, when I first started hunting with y'all in California, uh, it was different for me to put the decoys in front hmm. here. We, most of the time we put them in the back, like upwind. Okay. So come over cause we hunt in pit blind. We uh, don't, yeah. we, I had never hunted in, uh, much in layout blinds or panel blinds, but we hunt mostly in pit blinds. So we try to get everything to come over the top. Yeah. Get over that check. Right. When we're coming over the top. So that was different putting all the decoys in the front. Now I, I do that sometimes here, but um, Arkansas does similar thing. puts the decoys in the front, puts big, y'all use big, big spreads compared to here. Um, callings probably, I mean, it's pretty much the same, same deal here and everywhere else. What about access down there? I mean, you hunted Klamath um, up here and you can see how big it is. What's the you know public access like in Louisiana? Um, we have a few on the area that I live, there's one refuge or a couple of refuges that you can go hunt ducks, but there's not very many places public that you can go kill a bunch of specs. Yeah. Most everything is, uh, is leased up either by individuals or guide services. And most everything is little small, you know, hundred acres, 300 acre farms, not, not anything big, like where I, where I happen to guide. Yeah, I mean so, the acre the acreage is huge, right? That's why you guys are probably so successful. Um, you're able to manage right. the pressure. And our southern our southern border is one of the main refuges in our area too. Yeah, so that, that doesn't hold. That's what's hard sometimes up here and where we're at is you know you might have a duck blind, but you might only have you know 120 acres and it's flooded and and that's the only Shoot, place you can go. It seems like nowadays they're putting blinds on every rice check. You get 60 acres if you're lucky, and you're staring at the guy across from you both shooting nothing. Yeah, that's where it's hard about pressure, right? And how birds are getting smarter. If everyone's out hunting, and there's blinds everywhere. It makes it pretty tough. Yeah. Same thing here. There's there's fields are leased. Once you get off of our farm, everything's leased up. You know, for a hundred miles, everything, all, all every little farm, pretty much got some or near, and not a lot of places for them to rest. No, and that's the. I don't think people realize how much you know pressure um, is put on birds and how they react differently. Where when you do go to other places and there's not as much pressure, you get those working birds and, and it's enjoyable. But if you're in an area where there's tons of blinds everywhere. And everyone's hunting all the time. It could be extremely hard to. Yeah. Now, I mean, I know Bill's got a drought going on there, but we're dealing with kind of the opposite. With everybody yeah. has water, everybody has rice, and the word on the street right now, we're sitting here in 
almost December, late November, is birds are spread out. They're they're where they can get chasing fresh water and in places they historically should be loaded up right now. They're they're not. So it's just, you know, that's the thing that everybody loves about hunting. Year after year it's different. You know, you're not gonna get the same thing every yep. year. Yeah, it does. That's right. It does change. I mean, gosh. Drastically we from year to year. We used to kill a fair bit of mallards in Louisiana uh, back when I was younger and uh, I guess up into the early 2000s, maybe. And uh, the ones that do come here now, they're like 200-inch whitetail. They sit in the refuge <laughs> in, in the daylight and they, they, leave, they leave there in the dark and come out and feed at night and they're back in there before daylight. Yeah. And you never, you never even know that there's any around. So if, if you're shooting ducks, what kind of species are you shooting? For the most part, teal, pintails, a uh, few grays, spoonies, uh, widgeon. Uh, uh, every now and again, you know, when the when the weather's right or the conditions are right, we get uh, we get a fair amount of mallards sometimes. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, teal and pintails is our two main ducks. <clears throat> shoot only one pintail limit it kind of makes it tough hey we're the same way out here yeah oh i know i've been i've seen them out there too it's unbelievable <laughs> yeah. well bill we appreciate you coming on today and uh man it's fun to kind of catch up and good seeing you and thank you so much for coming up thanks. on the podcast today man well y'all thanks for having me i enjoy it yeah we'll we'll have to get you out here again here sometime soon yes sir i'm 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 trying my best to get back out there this year. Hopefully I can make it work. Oh, good. Okay. Let us know, man, and uh, put everyone back together. We'll have to do a hunt. That'll work. All right, Bill. Thanks, right. man. Appreciate it. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Save It for the Blind podcast. You can find our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.